0: Down in Petersburg, everything fine. Old Lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When it gets drunk, start singing all night, drinking wine, for you to drink wine, wine, for you to drink wine, for to drink wine, for you, drink wine. for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me, drinking that mess is their delight. When it gets a rump, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and turn down doors. Drinking Afghans and calling for more. Drinking wine spoiled to you to drink wine. My, my. Wine spoiled to you to drink wine. My, my. Wine spoiled to you to drink wine. My, my. wine spotty, Welcome to Tasting Anarchy,
1: one the loving drunks. Uh, I'm Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by Mason Joseph. And we're on episode three now of us trying the f- new format with me being out in the great state of Texas, and Mason's still staying in the Old Dominion, Virginia. In
2: the, in the Commonwealth. In the Commonwealth. One of four.
1: <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, so we actually, uh, Mason and I for once, uh, well I wouldn't say for once, but we, we both prepared quite a bit of information this week, so, uh, let's go ahead and get started. I, I think I'll go ahead and share my wine first, um that, mm-hmm. that I'm drinking right now. I, um it's, so I went different this week. Normally, I'm, I'm, I'm like a red guy, like I'll drink reds and stuff like that. This week, I went ahead and got a Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I'm trying to branch out a little bit is here in Texas, it is hot. And I want like a nice cold drink on my porch in like mm-hmm. the evening or over there by the pool, um, you know, because our apartment backs up to the pool of the complex. And you know, red wine's nice and and stuff, but that's much more to me, at least, is a much more like warm weather uh, friend, not a or a much. I mean, a much better for like cold weather or drinking indoors. Whereas mm-hmm. like a Sauvignon Blanc, I don't have a huge amount of experience with it, but it's a chilled. You usually serve it chilled, and as Americans, we serve it over chilled. And mm-hmm. um, and it's one of the few white wines that I know I like, and one that we on the show have not tried very much. So I did actually, yes, I also, true. I bought a Riesling as well because, you know, Mason introduced me to, you know, the joy of Riesling, which is, is, uh, I think it's very good. And I, I thought about getting a Pinot Gris, but then I was like, well, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, I've tried it before at like wine festivals and stuff like that. I liked it, but it's never been my go-to. So mm-hmm. what I did is I picked up this week. Um, it was on special at, of course, Total Wine, um, and it's uh, on special for nine ninety nine. It's a it's a New Zealand um, Sauvignon Blanc, although they they are billing it as Sav Blanc. So I don't know if that's a slightly different grape or if it's just like the way that they're you know displaying it. So it's uh, Lanark Lane um, Mar- Marlborough Sav Blanc twenty sixteen, and I'll tell you it's it's. Pretty good, and it is very refreshing. It's, uh, you know, I I had a glass of it last night, and and I just poured most of what's left in the bottle uh, for this episode. I'll probably finish the bottle this episode. It is a 750 milliliter bottle. Mm -hmm. It seems much smaller than that because after I poured the first glass, it seemed like it was mostly empty. But I've actually I poured it again and there's still some left in the bottle so I think I'll probably get a good I think actually maybe I had two glasses yesterday so I think I'll get a good ah. three three glasses out tonight but it did seem like it was much smaller and the bottle itself is not nearly as tall as some of the other bottles that I have mm-hmm. but it is uh it, it does say that it's 750 milliliters and I thought I think it's a pretty good wine um I'll, I'll read you some of the notes Mason so and the listeners so uh, you guys can maybe pick it up or not Um, and I would and this is actually one of the early like first descriptions that I agree agree very wholeheartedly with and it says yeah so it says this wine shows uh, an intriguing nose of buttercup flowers grapefruit lemongrass and damp grass cuttings uh, now the damp grass cuttings—that I think is the description that I always say is farmy, mm-hmm. and and it does have that flavor. And I think the reason that I agree with a lot of this uh, taste description is because they're all things that I know what they are for once. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so buttercup does have uh, a nose of buttercup. It does it does smell very floral. Uh, it does have a very citrusy taste, which would. Account for the grapefruit and lemongrass. Um, the damp grass cutting is what I always describe as farminess. Then um, their description uh, of the palate: it says uh, the palate is where it shines, offering slight roundness, balance, and mouthwatering acidity, and plenty of citrus notes on the lingering finish. And I agree with that as well. It does have the acidity, and you know, you and I have been working on kind of getting the previous episodes posted, so uh, and getting a little bit better about you know posting on a schedule. And one of the things that you and I had a Riesling in, I think, episode 11 or episode 10 that you kept saying it, it tastes slightly carbonated. It tastes slightly carbonated. And mm-hmm. this has that similar thing, and I th- and you correctly identified it in that episode, is I think it's the acidity. And I, I think that that's what this is, has got, too, because on the tip of my tongue, it does taste slightly carbonated.
2: Yes, yeah, so I wonder, looking at the—so uh, there's the Fern Ridge Pinot Noir, or this Pinot Grigio. Uh-huh. Uh that Pinot Grigio was from New Zealand, so that's probably not. I think it was the Anne Decay but Pinot well, that's a Grigio as well.
1: Oh maybe, maybe it was a Pinot Grigio then. I, I don't think it was the New Zealand Pinot Grigio because I think we both agreed on that one that it just didn't really have that much flavor.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um maybe it was the uh Gill Reizenhausen uh, Cabinet.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, so yeah, that
2: was the first uh, reasoning we did. It was a semi suite, and that was the one where your mom was
1: on. That's right. Yeah. So that's where I yeah. remember because I was listening to that episode and cracking up because it was so funny. And if you guys haven't listened to that, what is that episode eleven? Twelve. Episode twelve. If you haven't listened to episode yeah, yeah. twelve, it's uh, my first, our well, our first guest appearance ever. My mom, who is. Very entertaining, uh, and I think contributed to the episode greatly. Although she didn't say mm-hmm. a huge amount, she ha- the things that she did say were fun.
2: Yeah. So speaking of that episode, um, so cabinet is a, a and like literally my notes. It uh, may sound familiar to some listeners as this was the name of a wine featured uh, was in the name of a wine. Mm. Um, what it means is it's fully ripened grapes taken from the main harvest. Okay. So the wine I have tonight is Gerd Anselmann's Pflat, Platz. It's P-F-A-L-Z, Platz, Spatzlis. Um, so Platz, according to the German, uh, according to Wikipedia, is a German wine region. Spatzlis is a um, wine from fully ripened grapes, um, the lightest of the late harvest wines. So I'm not really sure what the harvest part means. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those, like the name of this wine doesn't even, and tell you that it's Riesling. So it's a Riesling. It's a uh, 10% alcohol by volume, 2016 variety, um, 750 milliliter bottle. Um, so, total wines notes is the wine is made from 100% Riesling, uh, grown in the Edensheim Rosengarten vineyard of the Platz region. Superb white with great flavor and aromas. Um, great flavor, yes. Aroma, you know, I'm not that strong a smeller, so. Its mild sweetness lingers pleasantly on the palate, served well chilled with various pork dishes or by itself. So, a couple things I didn't tell you ahead of this episode. Uh-huh. So, you know, Ashley, my wife, likes uh, Riesling's as well. Okay. In fact, Riesling's her favorite type of wine. You know that part. But, right. But um, she likes a semi-sweet. This is actually pretty sweet. It's like for a semi-sweet, I thought it was a full sweet wine. So it mm. kind of tastes like a dessert wine. But Ashley made a spicy, well, somewhat spicy pork curry, kind of in an Indian style. So I, for once, you know, I'm always saying like, we should eat with these things. Oh, yeah. And and see what it's like. Because, you know, my my thought process is always like, oh, like have the red wine with a salad and have the white with like steak because of the, the transition between the heaviness and things like that. Right. But this one I had with a pork dish, and they generally say, you know, you should have these kind of combat spiciness. Like on the bottle itself, it talks about that. The bottle itself talks about, like, you know, serving it at, like, 55 degrees. Um, so they tell you the temperature ahead of time, and it's only in English, so it's kind right. of nice. That is Good nice. Thing I didn't think, I assume it was a Celsius and serve it at, like, 100 degrees.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Uh, in Fahrenheit or, you know, Imperial. <laughs> um, but, you know, I had it with, so I had it with two distinct flavors. So I had this pork curry. Um, which had, you know, uh, garbanzo beans, potatoes, peas, um, like pork cutlet and white rice. And then I also had it with kale. Mm. So like just straight raw kale. Okay. And in both instances, the acidity of it was very good for palate cleansing. So mm. it was one of those things where it's like, this is actually like pretty good. So they call it a semi-sweet. They again mentioned grapefruit pear. They call it full-bodied. I'm not really sure what full-bodied means in this cut ca- characteristic. Hmm. Like
1: I always think it means it's got like a very heavy mouthfeel.
2: Then, then that's true. It, it does okay. have a very heavy mouthfeel, but only when it's in the mouth. Got it. Okay. But it's bright, and a lot of the descriptors you were using, like when you were describing the other wine, I was like, it's like they're brainwashing me on this mm-hmm. wine because mm-hmm. the wine I had, like, not really buttercup. It doesn't have the you know that um, the grassiness that we were talking about. Right. Um, but it definitely has the like sweetness, the acidity to it, and the mouth watering thing. So. This one was eighteen ninety nine. Um at ten percent alcohol by volume, eighteen ninety nine like for a like a, a Riesling, I think that's a bit low like okay. on the alcohol volume and like the flavor is really good, but it's very desserty. So like you have a glass after having had several other glasses where you're going like I don't wanna be, you know, blitzed house and like hurting the next day. I'm gonna have this as kind of my clean off my palate as I finish dinner and dessert right right so but for being the only wine i'm having it, it's kind of like okay this is a little not disappointing because i don't want to be trashed but mm-hmm. it doesn't give you that feel like this is going to have any oomph behind it right um so you get that kind of warmness of having had a drink or two not right. necessarily going like oh i drink the entire bottle of uh, some sauvignon blanc that was 15 like now i'm going to be sick everywhere <laughs> so <laughs> yeah but, yeah, golden in color, um, really looks like straight apple juice. Um, pretty good.
1: Good. Well, I'm glad that you found, that, found a good one. And, um, you know, we're, like like I said, mentioned earlier, we're trying to keep up a little bit better on this. So um, we'll try and put links to Total Wine for both of the wines that we chose since Mason and I pretty much picked most of our wines out from Total Wine.
2: Well, uh, I will let you into a bit of a secret. Uh-huh. I was trying to surprise you with something completely far afield because I didn't think you were going to do the wine you did.
1: Hmm.
2: So, the one you told me about, which you may be saving for another show, yeah. fine.
1: Well, I wasn't saving it, but uh, we can mention it because you know, as okay. every, as the listeners will find out now that we we talk all the time and we both drink during the week. So, <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, so I'm trying to drink less during the week because on Thursday I was out very late and had several more drinks than I intended to. Yeah. And was sick the next day, but I don't think I was sick from the alcohol. I was sick from eating curry French fries at midnight. Got it. <laughs> so okay.
1: It
2: yeah. Not and you know, I try to try to do intermittent fasting. I don't do it very well, but mm-hmm. that's kinda of the way I usually eat. I usually only eat two meals a day and this was like the sixth meal. Right, <laughs> right. Not not a day for me. Yeah. Um but yeah, so you had a Romanian wine. I did. And I a yep. couple times have gotten a Greek wine from the discount area at the local Kroger. Uh-huh. And when I went in Total Wine, I was kind of tired of like I have had them all back recently. I've you know I know cabs. Mm-hmm. You know I, I love Pinots. I love rieslings. They they don't really have a lot of other like at least at the, the Total Wine in Norfolk, they don't have a lot of. Other grapes.
1: Okay, so like just
2: like unusual got, things. Yeah, they've got blends, but you know, I, I'm not really that big into a blend because I want to know what the components are before tasting the blend.
0: Because mm-hmm. to me, it
2: just, then just tastes like certain things, and I can't tell what I'm tasting. So I was trying to find a new Greek wine. I wanted to do another Greek wine and get a Greek Greek grape variety since they don't have any current. Currently, they don't have any Georgians in Virginia. Okay. In the Total Wine stores. So I'm thinking about going to Yanni's Wine Shop and oh, trying to get idea. a Greek wine from them and I, in I, the future and, I mean, he's to, Greek, so I would assume that he would have a Greek wine. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if he's going to be in the shop, but right. you know, just kind of going in and like – and I don't have a huge budget, but I'd like to try something, something more unique mm-hmm. in flavors. And then I might – I was thinking about like some of the more expensive uh, wine services – uh-huh. have like dedicated georgian arms so i was thinking about like possibly signing us up for some sort of like georgian wine thing
1: oh that'd be kind of cool yeah yeah that might be that might be a good a good thing maybe around christmas time we'll sign up for uh mm-hmm. we'll sign each other up for some sort of a uh you know like a wine exchange That'd be cool. yeah, I think it would be, and it, and it wouldn't be a bad, a bad, uh, use, I think of resources. Cause right now we, we both do our own wine, but we can't really contrast our tasting notes. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that maybe if we were kind of on the same page with a lot of them, it might be, it might be interesting just to kind of see like, although I guess having different ones is kind of interesting too. Just this week we both went with whites and, um, although they are different whites, so you know, well, there there is a after, little bit of a difference, but they t- end up being very similar.
2: After Thursday, I was actually contemplating not drinking for an entire week mm-hmm. and possibly having yours be the only wine of the show, since oh. we tend to run a little long.
1: That's so, then, yeah. since, That's, since so That's so Go funny. That's so funny because I was going to not have a wine this week at all, and then <laughs> and then I was exploring Dallas with or not with Victoria with Foxy. So Mm -hmm. Foxy and I were out driving one night and, uh, you know, it's very confusing to drive around here, at least for me. So I was just trying to get my bearings a little bit. And then we came out Mm -hmm. near, um, total wine. And since I had the dog, I didn't want to go in because I didn't want to, um, leave her in the car. (laughs) Well, I was just, you know, it was nighttime or, or the sun had already set it was, it was still a little bit light, but it's so hot here that I just don't, I didn't want to leave her in the car. And she, she probably would have been fine. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to be like every 10 minutes, like, running to the door and looking to make sure that she's okay. So, mm-hmm. um, so I went home, dropped her off, went back to total wine and then just kind of wandered around for like an hour. Cause Victoria's out of town. So I don't got anything to do in particular. Uh, and so I went back and just kind of like, just, you know, I, I think that this is like one of the fun things about getting into wine is that, that if you have the time to get into wine, uh, you could talk to staff which, you know, I talked to them a little bit, but some of the staff knows a lot of what they're talking about. Some of the staff, though, yeah. they're just like, I'm just the guy who gets the carts out of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, that, that guy. But, like, once in a while, you can talk to somebody. But also, like, if you've got a lot of time, just go in there and just read the backs of bottles. Yeah. And... And, and, you know, a lot of the bottles are really interesting looking. So it's kind of like, kind of like going to like an art museum or something like that. It's, it's kind of fun to just g- browse and like see what's there and then read the backs. And, and I think I have kind of the same sort of bias that you're talking about where it's like, oh, it's a blend uh or whatever. And, mm-hmm. but like I went through the blend section, I didn't pick one up. Um, I actually got that Romanian one from the other red section, but it is a blend. Um, mm-hmm. And the, and there, and actually i read an article, which, you know, speaking of articles, and it was in decanter magazine, I think, um, that, so we'll get into our articles now, but, uh, in the article, it was saying that like, there is like a weird blend bias, but some of the mm-hmm. best wines in the world are French wines and almost all French wines are blends.
2: Yeah. That's, that's one of those things where, I mean, clearly I don't think we are at the level to decide what is best. Yeah. But this is one of those, there's a blend, there's a, a bias towards blends. Cause that's what the French do. Mm hmm. Because they stifle their own industry with all of their shenanigans. Right. And then there's this bias towards French wines being the best because the French had this strong marketing arm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so Dan Carlin's Hardcore History put out his latest episode, which was such a letdown to me because it didn't have any of the action. It was all the buildup and no oh, oh, and it's
1: going to be you already finished it yeah oh wow okay so yeah. i haven't finished no. it yet i started listening to it i thought it would actually get to something <laughs> no
2: it, it really doesn't okay um i mean it does and it's it's one of those things that if i was coming upon this this new series of episodes 6 years after it had come out right i'm sure it's going to be some of the best he's ever done uh-huh. but it was more like the pain pain attainment one or pain the entertainment Pain episode that he did recently.
1: Oh right, the yeah. One that was
2: previous before this. Where it's his musings on setting up this story, and it's four and a half hours of him setting up this story. Now, like I was mowing the lawn and I I weedy like my neighbor's yard too for him because he's older and he can't do it at the moment. Right. So it's not like I was sitting there just like all weekend like hunkered up going like I'm going to listen to Dan Carlin, but like I also when I went to Total Wine like you know I went on this like journey to see a bunch of estate sales some of which were in the neighborhood behind where he used to live you know I did all this stuff but it was just this huge lead up to just wait for the next one because that's when it gets good now things were happening uh-huh. but it was still kind of that like the story hasn't begun like, right geez, Dan, like
1: <laughs> well like I, I listened to the first part of it and, and already it was super interesting to me but yeah I, I thought it was building up to something and but I'm only about halfway through I think.
2: I mean, it it does build up to something, and it's... It's clear that the episode started, but it's kind of that great French power where it's like, oh, no, no, no. We're the best wines because we were the ones judging them Mm -hmm. for years. Like, yeah, I would be hard pressed to think that some of the best Italians wouldn't be like, no, our wines are just better. Right. And like some of the Germans would be like, well, you know, the French have very good stuff, but ours are really good. And then you see that some of the stuff coming out of Napa and it's like,
1: oh, yeah, I mean,
2: they don't they don't hold a candle. But when you're like the refined like the what was it like the GSM type the mm. the three blend and it's like yeah no one else is making blends like this right you guys have this lockdown and like we're experimenting with stuff and you guys won't allow experimentation so yeah well we're, oh yeah, we're, you know you're, you're the best at making cabs good job <laughs> sure
1: yeah well and, you know and they do have a lot of interesting grapes and stuff that grow in France but like. You know, speaking of Napa or uh, Sonoma, that area is like they, in those areas, they invented a new grape and Mm. uh, not, not recently, but like Zinfandel is from, uh, from either Sonoma or Napa. I can't remember which one, but, Mm -hmm. um, and then like, but you think about too, like, you know, the French did that as well. They just did it like 500 years ago and the Germans, you know, they, they not invented, but cultivated or developed or whatever, you know, the Germans, they cultivated Pinot Noir. You know, and a
2: war, Riesling
1: Riesling some yeah, of the
2: Grigio stuff.
1: Yeah, There's and there's and, so there's a lot of really interesting unique things, but then you go to places like Australia and you've got something completely different going on which as far as flavor I can't really speak to it, but as far as the um, technology that is involved mm-hmm. in in creating basically trans tr- changing um somewhere like australia which you know may not lend itself to wine naturally but using the te- technological um irrigation techniques and then just the the advent of refrigeration to be able to ferment things at a colder temperature to create mm-hmm. some you know award-winning world competitive wines and um and this sort of kind of i guess because we're speaking a lot about the French goes into my first article, which, uh, I think actually will also get us a little bit into some Liberty discussion mm-hmm. is, um, it's from uh, Dick decanter magazine, which I, I mentioned earlier. I, I read their website occasionally. Um, and I and I've thought about maybe subscribing to their magazine just because it's, it's interesting and it looks like it's done well, uh, and and it's a and it might be a good way to introduce me to new stuff, um, new ideas, new you know, and it may be that they'll be like, well, you can taste this, and I'll drink it and be like,
2: meh, I, I don't taste any of that. Well, but well, um, I mean, also keep yeah. in mind, there's that uh, service Jason Stapleton is advertising where it's like 200 magazines. You should see if Decanter is involved in that because I'm oh. sure there's some other magazines within that service.
1: Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll check that out. But this article is about. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about is the nap. So, and the way that Walter Block always, you know, puts it is, he says like libertarianism is about doing whatever you damn well please, just keep your mitts to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then people expound on that. And one of the things that most people expand or expound or expand—what's the correct word?
2: Well, so expand is to is to like grow something larger. But uh-huh. I think it expound upon is like to pontificate, what you're talking okay. about.
1: Okay, so to expound upon that people usually add force or fraud. They say, you can do whatever you want as long as it's not force or fraud. Mm -hmm. And this article in decanter, I thought it caught my eye because it does say right up front, fraud probe, finds Spanish wine being passed off as French.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so basically the article is actually when I first, I think I mentioned this to you and I hadn't finished reading the article. I thought it was that like Spanish companies were selling wine internationally. Um, as french wines
2: that's what i thought was happening
1: and, and it technically it is internationally but what it is is that it seems like uh it's not necessarily the growers but the retailers uh, mm-hmm. who put the labels on and that sort of stuff so so france has very strict rules on on labeling and so what's going on it seems like is that a lot of the people who bottle or label wine because um, wine is not always labeled at the source sometimes it's labeled when it's imported mm-hmm. um, because it needs to be in the correct language and that sort of thing um, and yeah, also adhere to all that other garbage. A, right exactly so you know whatever government regulations are and it and what a lot of uh, French growers are saying is that they've got um basically what's happening is a, is a Spanish wine is coming in and it's not exactly that they're labeling it wrong they're they're making it labeled so that it seems like it's French but it's not And, um, and and some of it's straight up fraudulent where it's like, this is grown in, you know, Alsace or whatever. And it's like, no, this is grown in, you know, Catalonia or something like that. So, uh, and that seems to be what's going on. And apparently like there, they did some investigations on it and it's something like, um, up to 22% of the wine that appears to be French is not actually French. It's Spanish. Uh, and, and it's specifically that they're targeting France and I, and it makes sense because they're, you know, it's a border region and the the French drink a lot of wine. Oh, um, uh, yeah. and so apparently like the French wine growers are very upset about it and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and this is, I guess what we'll discuss a little bit is, um, Rightfully so, I would be upset if it was if it was fraudulent. But as a consumer, if I didn't know any different, like yeah, I don't like the idea that somebody lied to me. But at the same time, if if it tasted good and I felt felt like I got my money's worth, um, then I wouldn't really care if it was from France or Spain. Although I kind of like to know just so that I can you know when I'm looking at you know wines or whatever, I go oh this is from that region in Spain that I like, or this is in that region of France that I like. Maybe it'll be similar.
2: Well, and also, like, if you enjoy that wine yeah. and you just enjoy the distinct characteristics, it may be cheaper yes. to get it as Spanish wine in France as opposed to French wine. Exactly. Now, my, under- yeah. my, my understanding is, like, the French are very particular about their wine. Yes. They also don't age a lot of wine. They drink it really fresh most mm-hmm. of the time. Yep. So I think one of the things that like you see in a lot of American situations, it's like this is like a five-year-old bottle of wine, and it's right? An aged perfection, and the French are like, "Yeah, we drank all of that six years ago."
1: Yeah, yep. Right. And, and you and know, and like what's the- interesting about that too is that um, I was watching uh, a show on YouTube or on on Netflix or something like that about wine, and it was saying that like it used to be, and actually, and this is one of the things that I guess the French have brought to the I guess brought to the table or whatever was that a lot of the techniques that they developed made it so that wine could age. Because what happens with very, very old bottles of wine that didn't go through the correct aging process is that as soon as you pour it, in five or ten minutes, it turns into vinegar.
0: Oh.
1: And um, so or, – or through the aging process, you pour it and it is vinegar. So, yeah. um, so there, there are like – you know people collect these bottles or whatever and the guy who was in the show, he, he said he was one of the few people who was able to sample this like 300-year-old bottle of wine or something like that. And he said we had to drink it really quickly because we knew that if we didn't drink it quickly it would turn into vinegar and <laughs> and there was one bottle and yeah. of it left and it was like you know 300 years old or something crazy but but you know they talked about these various additives that they put into it that allow it to age and mm-hmm. and also the development of bottle aging is was a, a like a french invention i guess is that they is that you know in germany and places like that and, and old france they would age in these gigantic barrels mm-hmm. and casks yeah humong- but like ungodly big like like bigger than a semi truck <laughs> uh-huh. and they would and then you would just like slowly drink off of that and then oh, that would be amazing yeah yeah well and this is like it was a German thing it was it, it reminds me a lot of going to like the you know the beer garden or whatever not mm-hmm. not the beer garden that we go to but like what you think of as the beer garden where there's these gigantic <laughs> casks of beer and you know you put it under the, the thing and you've you know keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking. Well, they would have like these gigantic casks and you would do that. And, you know, and also like the, the alcohol of Europe did change after the Little Ice Age. So like it it's transitioned to, uh, you know, it transitioned to beers and things like that because, I mean, there were, there were cultures who did drink mostly beers, but because it became much more difficult to grow, uh, wine grapes in the Northern regions, um, because of the the climate change, which actually that'll bring me to my other article, but, uh, because of the climate change, they had to move grape growing further South and they basically switched over to wheat growing and barley growing far North mm-hmm. and, and well, I mean, they were already doing that, but they were just like, well, what we need alcohol? So, uh, we'll make it out of this. And then like, you know, once potatoes were introduced into Europe from the Americas, uh, and, and it got even colder for a while. That's when, like, Russia switched over to potatoes and Ireland switched over to potatoes, and you started getting, like, these hard liquors made out of, like, potatoes, like vodka. Mm-hmm. And kind of an interesting sort of, like, quirk, I guess, of history is that, like, the climate does change it. And one of the things that I think, you know, I, I do a lot of genealogy research, and I ran across this not related to my family necessarily, but where uh, there's a there was a time period when Scotland was... Tr- trying to get its independence from England as they always do. And um, they, there's like a conversation that goes on and it may be like apocryphal or fictitious, but they say like, Oh, well, we're going to start growing wine grapes here. And it's like mm. in Scotland, that's like really far North. And, but apparently at the time they could do that. And but the conversation is, well, we don't drink wine. And the response to that is, yeah, but the French and Italians do. And we want to trade with them.
2: Yeah, we, we've mentioned this on the show before, and I think this is one of those things where it's like, if you look at the caucus reasons, it's like, yeah, they they grow some cold altitude grapes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know yeah. about cloud cover and stuff like that, but like just in the caucus mountains, it's right. cold. Like Yeah.
1: Well, and it may be that like when they started switching over to the beers and stuff like that, it's just that they had warmer weather varietals that were available. And so those mm-hmm. died and they just switched. Yeah.
2: Well, I think like one of the things that is happening, and it, this is one of those things where it's it's hard to measure, but with automate like and I think this is kind of an American thing mm-hmm. the u s came in and it's like, well, why isn't why aren't things consistent? Like we don't have nine hundred years of tradition of this making this giant barrel and drinking it over the next two and a half years right. So it's a different thing of wine each day, but it's not like you're sitting there going like, well, here's it at two years, here's it at one year, here's it at you know ten years, and these are what the taste profiles are. Mm-hmm. It was like I need to drink wine because like the water somebody you know crapped in it upriver, and I'll die otherwise. Right. Like so. Whereas the U S comes in and it's like the model T yeah. it's standardization. So we, you know, you go into the bakery and you expect the loaf of bread to be a certain way every right. time consistent. And I think that's kind of happened with the wine industry is, you know, like, especially with these growers now and like, I think this is what's become enshrined in law in France, and Germany, and things like that. Is you know, these are specifically this way, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's possibly in retaliation against people who are able to consistently make a product a certain way.
1: Right. Well, then that, that's very possible. Um, I, like, okay. And I'll be interested to see. You know, kind of going. You know, moving on, I guess, to my next article. I'm interested to uh-huh. see, like. The weather impact on this. So like, you know, we talked about this on the show a couple episodes ago. Well, about 10 or 15 episodes ago. The, From uh, fi- our
2: recording, but not release dates. <laughs> right, right.
1: Yeah, but not the release dates, but the, uh, the fires in California. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see, like, what comes out of California as far as wines as a result of these fires. Now, there were several vineyards that were destroyed. It takes three or four years for a vineyard to produce, uh, consistent grapes, and it takes six to seven years for them to produce a large crop. So it's about three years mm-hmm. till they're producing anything, and then it's about six years or seven years until they're producing something that is, Usable, like, or well, not usable, but something that, that is s- substantial enough that they can make a, a large amount. So, yeah, and,
2: and I think that's one of those things where that comes back to what we were just talking yeah. about. Like, you know, so to derail this, but to reconstruct it, think about like what people started doing with initial offerings. Yeah. Where, it wasn't like I'm trying to make Dogecoin a thing. It was, I need to fund my business, so we're going to do this coin offering that entitles mm-hmm. you to certain products when it's done, kind of like a Patreon or a, yeah, a, not a, a Kickstarter. So like, how cool would it be if they could make a limited run bottle? And it's like, look, these are going to be more expensive. But the idea is you're helping us get back and we're going to make something unique right? from these weaker grapes. And we're going to, mm-hmm. you know, it could be terrible. Right. But the idea is we're we need to raise capital to fund our rebirth,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and we're going to do something. And like I would totally, even if I didn't know these vineyards, I would totally be down for buying a wine like that instead of like the government coming in. Now, if their insurance company comes in and bails them out, you know, hey, great, it's your insurance sure. company, you pay right. for that. But like instead of the state of California coming in and subsidizing them, like this idea that like, no, like we took this opportunity to try something new. Like what if they come up with like a different way of the varietal or like, yeah. you know, can like so we're going to take half of the production and we're going to just do it normal. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take this other half and experiment and try to make it what it should be. Right. By adding sugars and, you know, like trying to rebalance it and, you know, maybe bringing in some other outside grapes to Try to create these unique flavor profiles.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that'd be that'd be very interesting, especially you know on the on the particularly with you know and great you know Sonoma and Napa and all that. It may be over and well, even into Lodi and all those places. That, you know, it may be over. What do you call it? Over saturated or whatever. But that you know, this is going to maybe be kind of like the microbrew movement where you've got to offer something different and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, you and I both had wines that we were like, eh, not, not great. But, yeah. you know, just because the wine is expensive doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Mm-hmm. So if they could introduce something that's like unusual, you know, so like you and I both like in, in beers, sour beers. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the best sours, I think, um, and I don't recall the brewery, but it's out of San Francisco and it uses the wild um, yeast that is available in the Bay Area. And this is you know what to me at least and and well not to me this is you know science science i guess but uh the reason that i think san francisco sourdough is so much better than you know say new york sourdough sorry new yorkers if you're offended by that but like san francisco sourdough san francisco italian dry salami Sam, like anything like san francisco sour beer anything that needs to be fermented or you know, soured or cured or whatever over a very long period of time is delicious out of the Bay Area because they have yeah. a... And, they, and they've and they actually, like, isolated this. There's a specific type of... Um, I think it's called brectococcus, but I could be spelling... I could be saying that incorrectly. It's a type of yeast that exists in the Bay Area naturally, um, and it makes these very strong, very unique flavors. Now, the wine growers in that area do not want sour beers made near their grapes. They don't want, um, they don't want, you know, salami cured near their grapes. They don't want sourdough bread made near their grapes, I'm sure. And that's because they don't want a contamination of these kind of funky yeasts, uh, around, you know, their standardized product. And rightfully funky. so, you know, they don't, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, a property rights violation. I mean, it's the same as polluting. Um,
2: but yeah, cause the, these, these yeasts are apparently very like vibrant, like yes. they don't, it, you can't kill them off. Yeah. And if you poison the production, you're
1: done. Mm. And, but they, they do make a really interesting flavor. So what I would, I would love to see happen and, and somebody may be doing this and I just don't know about it, but maybe we get some, you know, from one of these uh, wineries or vineyards that, that were damaged by the fires, you get them to send their next crop, whatever they have, you know, part of what they have left to one of these breweries that makes a really delicious Bay area sour and just kind of see what happens. Like, you know, it's not the same type of yeast, It's and, you know, it may not, be, it may not produce a good wine, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would definitely be willing to try a bottle of that and just yeah, kind of see, like, what's going on. Like, you know, the grapes do add a lot of flavor. You know, the grape varietal adds a tremendous amount of flavor, but as we know from brewing beer, the yeast in beer is a huge impact on the flavor. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, and obviously, you know, you and I are not as versed in the wine world as we were in the beer world, but I'd be very interested to see like what would happen if you kind of change the yeast profile of some of these grapes and, and, you know, maybe it would take an adventurous winemaker or whatever, but you can't have these kind of government apparatuses that they have in places like France that strictly control what you can and can't do. And, Uh. uh, and that's kind of like, that's why, you know, America is sort of the wild west in production of everything is you know until the last you know 50 years or so there wasn't really that high of regulation on food food products especially alcohol products except for you know prohibition obviously it just made it all illegal but nobody was saying like you know like what's the what's the standard they have for beer in germany i can't remember what it's called but uh Uh,
2: it's the german beer purity laws they have it for wine too apparently
1: oh do they okay well, mm-hmm. those purity laws, like we don't have those here, and it's kind of, you know, it, you know, the anecdote or whatever. And I don't know. I think this might be a fake story, but the the there was a story that like in England they thought that trains could only be a hundred feet long, or they would snap in the middle, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, so they just didn't make trains that were more than hundred feet long. But in America, they had no concept of this, and they were just like make the train forever. Yeah, and and they did and it didn't snap and when a uh, british you know observer or whatever came to the united states he was like oh my gosh how are these not breaking and the guy's like what are you talking about like it's a train <laughs> just, It just just pulls cars like why does it why would it have to be limited to 100 feet so yeah
2: and that's one of those things where like i don't know i i, I lost the, the I was trying to look oh. up if that
1: was real or not. But. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know if it's true or not. I've, I heard the, I've heard the story multiple times. I think it might be a fake story. but
2: uh, Well, you've told the story multiple times on the show. So.
1: Oh, have I? Yeah. It, it may, yeah. it may be a fake story, but it's kind of, you know, America does it has done a lot of those types of things where you're like, well, they, somebody will say, well, you can't be done. And you just say, well, let's try just try. Let's try it. And I'd like to see yeah. that same. And, and and you know what? Because you and I are not so versed in it, and I think that as we get into it more, and as the listeners kind of go with us on this journey into wine, um, we may discover that there are people who are kind of doing these kind of weird, funky wines, where they're just like, "Look, we've got this, we've got this, uh, you know, unfermented grape juice here that we made from our wines or whatever. Let's just let's throw a sour yeast in it and see what happens."
2: Yeah, I think one of the things is. So, like, you were talking about, like, the Argentinian wine where they thought they had, like, the Malbec grape or something like that. And they turned out to have this other grape that had got extinct elsewhere or something like that. Right. one of the things we run into is, like, in the United States, and this is one of those, I think will be a good transition to um, part our topic from my side. Okay. Is, like, the economic prosperity that America is frittering away. Mm Mm-hmm in this like super socialized thing instead of like becoming more capitalist and becoming more like this is what made you great to begin with right we're going into these like oh you got to have a license to braid hair yeah it's like okay so our, next are we going to have the beer purity laws where like this is what defines a beer variety oh no we never do that yeah well you yeah. never thought you would need a license to braid hair
1: right, right.
2: oh you know so we, we get this thing where like in the United States, like the the wineries didn't know what they were doing because it was really hard to get, and it's part par, probably because in part because of you know protectionism on both sides of the Atlantic in the early years, and then uh-huh. World War One, World War Two, getting French wines, so all of a sudden it's like, well, if you want to drink wine, you've got to drink American, right? So these these wineries may have like prospered, and then we're like, well, we can try something new, and right. that's kind of the cool thing about like some of these like Chilean wines and places like that where like, yeah, they have a rich historic wine culture based on the Spanish wine traditions because that's what it originally, but like they've also had all this time to just become their own things. Right. Like we mainly spell, sell this, the, you know, the Chilean market. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is a world-class wine and it's $22. Right. Cause they don't know no one else is drinking it. And you just happen to be down there and trying. And it. it's like, Oh man, like I got to get this in the States. So, one of the things that recently has come out is – so we know that the, the the leadership of the DNC, the Democratic National Committee mm-hmm. for Convention or whatever the hell they see is absolutely sabotaged Bernie Sanders' chance of becoming the nominee right. for the presidential run. Now, whether Sanders would have tempered his socialism or just gone crazy with it mm-hmm. as the candidate, we're not really sure because he's truly a piece of garbage. Yeah. And doesn't you know? It's not Ron Paul where it's like, I'm going to live and die by my convictions. So, but like recently, there was that girl in the Bronx. Oh
1: yeah, who, uh, Alex Alexandria Cortez, or she has two last names like yeah, some, something Cortez, but, like Orcasio or something like that, or, yeah, or, 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 or so, Ortez. Yeah, yeah,
2: something like that. But so she recently won in the Bronx, and yeah. she unseated a ten-term Democrat. Congressman. Yeah. So, yep. where's the most liberal place in the country?
1: Well, the, well, the left coast, California.
2: Well, so supposedly
1: they, the Bay Area.
2: Well, there's some arguments. Yeah. Is it the Bay Area or is it New York City? Right. You know, like if you were like, I'm not talking about states, I'm talking about cities, and it's like, oh, right. Well, Seattle, San Francisco. Oh, yeah, Seattle's New York.
1: pretty pretty rough. Yeah. New York, yeah, New like, York so definitely. It's
2: the, yeah, it's those three. Yeah. So.
1: Well, and, you know, this, Port, Portland's like that too. Eugene, um,
2: Port, Portland even is, even
1: Austin is even Austin is pretty bad as far as like, even though it's in Texas, it's it's still pretty very liberal.
2: Austin itself is very liberal, but Austin itself doesn't push people like from the, the feeling you get from Austin is like mm-hmm. we're not going to try to mess with Dallas. We're just going to do our own thing.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that and, that's the feeling I get from a lot of Texas. You know, I've only been here for you know a month, yeah. a month and a week or so, or a month and two weeks, and it. It does seem that way, whereas—well, actually, it also seems very—let me let me derail us for just a second. So I drove mm-hmm. up to um, this place called Flower Mound yesterday to go to a movie with my work. And as I was driving up there, it was just exit after exit after exit of cookie-cutter strip malls with the, you know, Taco Bueno, um, you know, a Taco Bueno, some generic fast food restaurant, some generic— Sit down restaurant, like, you know, Applebee's or whatever, and then some sort of generic, like, higher level sit down restaurant, and then just kind of like generic chain things. And it was just the okay. same thing exit after exit after exit after exit for about 45 minutes. Because Flower Mountain's about 45 minutes away from us. And, uh, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like, it's, I mean, it's very much like California, and it kind of made me appreciate a lot of the character that is in Virginia Beach and Norfolk area. Is that because it's been developed pretty much? uh, There is a lot of kind of character there, whereas in in the West, because it's so spread out here, it it leaves a lot of room for people to just have kind of this same thing after same thing, after same rinse thing, and repeat. Yeah. Rinse and repeat. It, it worked. And the thing is like, there is a little bit of comfort to that. Like when I'm traveling, it's nice to be able to get off and know that I'm going to get the same food at this place that I got at the last place. But at the same, on the flip side of that is there's no adventure. And, yeah. and when I was up in flower mound, I was like, this is a really nice place. And I don't like using this, uh, analogy as much as I used to, but I still think it all the time is like, if I lived here, I would kill myself because uh-huh. it is like living in the fakest community that I can possibly imagine. Like it just, is. <laughs> it, it's not real. It's not real. Like, it's like, it's like, this is like the Stepford wives or something like that. It's bizarre. It, it, I mean, it's very, it's very <laughs> surreal because it's like somebody set this community up and Granted, you know, this is this is a government construction, and this is what I was thinking about when I was there, um, is that because the government builds a freeway system, you get these, like, you know, pop-up, you know, jack-in-the-box type communities where it's just like, here's the fast food restaurant, and then you build the exact same house around it and all that sort of stuff. So I have no idea how this related to <laughs> what we... You... Oh, oh, I remember now. So you've got, like, these kind of, like, cookie-cutter things, and, and I think in the West, at least, that this is very common, is that um, there's... There's a lot less localization because of every locality is identical because it's all new. Mm. And whereas, like you know, there's a difference between Norfolk and Virginia Beach. They're very different communities. And
2: oh, extremely. And the, that's yeah. the thing is like the North Shore of Virginia Beach is supremely different than the south the South End right. past Rudy Inlet. Yeah, they're oh, yeah. different communities. Mm-hmm. And like logistically. They're almost forty five minutes away from each other, and it's eight miles. Right, right, and it's just because it's you know thirty five mile an hour tour. So. Yeah,
1: and then and then really, but, I mean, when you cross the water and go up to Portsmouth, Portsmouth and Norfolk are similar, but if you go up, you know, uh, up further, like up to you know Newport News and into Williamsburg and stuff like that, it's different again. I where mean, you it, go
2: to Petersburg, and it's an hour away, yeah, and it's definitely different. Like you go into you go to Henrico compared to Richmond, mm-hmm. and here is the thing: like I don't think like. Visually, they're different, but and you know, feel wise, they are different communities. And I bet you know, in ten years, you could tell the difference between where you are now and where where you are. But like, I think there are places like driving up, like driving up ninety nine, California, yeah, to get to Stockton and going through the Central Valley. Oh yeah, each each place is unique. Each well, place is completely different, it, and it, until it you is get to Lodi.
1: Well, it is, and, and it's until you get to an area where there's freeways that mm-hmm. that connect to a major economic hub, and then it's just like from then on they're like, oh well, there's this like there's this freeway, so you can get to work in you know 20 minutes or whatever, and we'll just go ahead and like copy paste this community from here to here, and it's like yeah. it's all, and, and you know I'm not really worried about it exactly, but I can really like in my imagination, and as I was driving home. From Fire Mound, I I was kind of thinking, I was like, I can really imagine, like, if the economic, like, center or there was another huge economic collapse or whatever, these places just all being empty.
2: Well, and that's the thing is, like, those places have momentum. Right. Because nothing is different. It's not like, so, like, when I was in Colonial Place, Mm -hmm. I was so disappointed you didn't live here anymore. Yeah. Because the house that I went to an estate sale for was so quirky you would have loved it oh i'm sure like just how different it was and it's like to just imagine if we were you know millionaires and we could flip this place right and just see what it's like like fixed up and like made back to what it was Mm -hmm. and you know make it a nice house again and just kind of that nonsense we could do but like i think that's kind of the thing we run into with a lot of these things is like we get lost in like trying to measure how different a place is by how it looks differently. But it's like, you know, San Diego, each exit's kind of the same. That's true. But like in San Diego, the houses are different. Yeah. And the same with Stockton, like Stockton's got two. like, it's between like, I think five and 99 is kind of where Stockton resides. Yeah. But like each neighborhood in Stockton is kind of different. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. like when you ride through the neighborhoods in Stockton, you kind of see where different developers pick up and it's like right next to each other. Whereas in Virginia Beach and Norfolk, because of the waterways being everywhere in this like flood tidal area. Yeah. You know, neighborhoods are pockets where like it's one developer. Right Or, you know, it's the same developer over certain neighborhoods, and they all share part of the same first name. Like, yeah. you know, where you lived, Pembroke Manor, and then my parents lived in Pembroke Meadows, and then next to it was Pembroke Shores. They right. were all developed by the same company, and the housing style is similar, but not the same, because each neighborhood had its own class.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. they, they, they like, like, the neighborhood I lived in was, like, was lo- lower, lower class. middle class. Yeah, lower middle class. And then there was, like, a slightly... I, although I wouldn't say that was part of the same development because, like, over in those apartments that you used to live at, that would—I mm-hmm. I think those were all developed roughly around the same time. Nope. No, they weren't?
2: They are about 20 years earlier.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
2: But it's, sort the of going— and These were the 60s and 70s.
1: Oh, okay. So going—sort yeah. of going back to the um, Diane Feinstein thing, which is what we're kind of building up to, is, mm-hmm. you know, where would you say the most— liberal places and and i guess kind of the point i was getting at was uh it's it's kind of difficult to tell these days so you do have these sort of mainstay places like you know obviously new york is and you know mm-hmm. I- excluding uh, uh not long island but uh, uh staten island staten island yeah. is like a little bit different more working class kind of but uh, but then you got like san francisco or the bay area in general is very left leaning and kind of that general like the left like the sort of the very westest westest part of california uh and like all along the coast on that side is very very liberal you know and i've been up and down that coast a lot and it's you know just packed full of hippies and uh you know very left-leaning type people and then you've got you know uh, i haven't been down to austin yet but i've heard that austin is very left-leaning but i'd be interested to go because it's supposed like it you know i see the stickers here around around here all the time now where is it keep austin weird Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's like, I don't know if they're more just weird or if they're just very left leaning.
2: Well, they're both. Yeah. That's my understanding. Well, cause I, cause I mean, like...
1: even, even Dallas is a democ a d- democratically controlled city. Uh, and you don't think of it, it may be like more blue doggy kind of Democrats, but they, it, it's still, they've had a Democrat mayor for years and the city manager is a pr- former city manager of Tacoma, which is a city next to, t- to Seattle and, uh. <laughs> And it's, you know, it's, it, it does have a, but granted, like, but I think there's a lot of other stuff going on in Texas in general that makes it so it's difficult for the state expansion. I mean, there is statism here for sure, but there, I think there's just the lack of income tax, the lack of a lot of various tax structures that make it difficult for people to just kind of spend however they want.
2: I, th- I think it's part of it is like Texas is concerned with Texas mm-hmm. and New York is, con- like te- California is concerned with Nebraska for some reason. Mm. Like, yeah, they care about themselves, but they think, oh, no, 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 we've perfected us. Right. So, well, the whole point of this article that, that we linked into the show notes, at least the, as we built them at this point, yeah. is Diane Feinstein ran a primary for reelection mm-hmm. to the U.S. Senate, which is a six-year term. So I, I think it's very important we make mark that at six years. So yeah. just we're going to keep that in our minds. In February. And she ran against this guy who apparently didn't quit, Kevin D. Leon. So Kevin got like 7% of the vote in the primary. Now Diane got 40 something, like 44. Which is a plurality, but it's not a majority. Well, in California, the plurality wins in yeah. the Democrat run. Uh, but yeah,
1: she did. Okay. Right, I mean, right. I'll, take, I'll so, take your word for it. I think I think that you have to have a majority to get the endorsement for sure. And if you have a plurality, you don't automatically get the endorsement.
2: Okay, so I see how you mean it. Yes, yeah. that, I think that might be part of it. And we may have talked about this at the time. Okay. I know we mentioned this once before because making fun of Diane. Right. So, she, And also,
1: let me interject real quick. Dianne Feinstein, so you're right. It's a six-year term. She's 85 years old.
2: But don't, 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 don't. Oh, don't, my don't, lead don't jump. Oh, okay. All right, all right. <laughs> I, I got more to this. Okay. So she she wins, and so, and and the, the Zero Hedge article doesn't make it clear, and we may need to do a little additional research to look that up. Yeah. But, so, Dianne Feinstein is a left monster weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's 85, but she's not, like, and this is where I was saying, I'll no, destroy my lead. Mm-hmm. She doesn't – she's not Ginsburg. Right. Ginsburg's 81. Or, like, it, Ginsburg is younger than Feinstein. Right. No one's questioning if Feinstein is going to die in the next six years.
1: Yeah, but everybody thinks Ginsburg's going to die in the next yeah. three to – three to what? how many years does Trump have left? Three, six years? He has two. Well, okay, so two, but if he wins re-election, yeah. he'd have six, yeah,
2: I yeah, guess. Yeah, six. So he has – so the thing about that, like, Feinstein, senator yeah, from – California, like the Supreme Court. So like the the, the whole point is like Feinstein kicks this guy's butt. Um, yeah, he got twelve percent. Yeah. So Feinstein kicks this guy's ass. But because if we our understanding is correct, because she didn't win by fifty one percent, right? California the leadership of the California party gets to decide who to endorse. So they endorse this D Leon guy. And Feinstein's most likely gonna win handedly. Well, so,
0: yeah, okay, this continue. Is, this you know. is
2: the projection okay. across the board. Right. Is he's like, because he's in the prime, he's in the actual running. Mm-hmm. So, Feinstein, DeLeon, and whoever the Republicans put up. So, there's a more progressive person running against Feinstein. Right. And then there's a Republican. So, like, and the Democrats aren't even worried this guy's going to pull numbers away from Feinstein. Right. So, like, that's how entrenched he is. But, like, the concept that the state of California, in a 44% to 12 so quick math, 22 no, no, 30, 32% margin higher vote standard, mm-hmm. the, the people who run the party came out and said, no, 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 no. we're going to support the other guy. Like, right. Fine, and, like, so there's this, there's this, diverse divorced concept from reality apparently with the democrats at least in my opinion that and and this is one of the things that i don't i don't think tom woods is necessarily falling for it but so many people are like this socialist in co in the Bronx beat a ten-term senator. Yeah. Well, remember when all those Tea Party Republicans routed long, long-term Republicans? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To the point where some of them didn't even run. Like, like they they act like this is going to be some huge upset and like they're the Democrats are swinging socialists. But it's like this is just to me more clear evidence that Feinstein got forty-four percent of the base and they're going to go go with the guy who got twelve. And it's not like Feinstein came out as a, a child murderer or something mm-hmm. like that. In the meantime. You know, right. The only thing that's happened is this other girl won, but the rest of the party, or at least the head of the party, cheated the Democrat Socialist out of the win, right? Or out of being a contender even in the in the primary process against Hillary, to the point where they're talking about Hillary may run again in 2020. Right. Like, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's insane to me that they would think about trying to run her again, especially if Trump
2: runs again. Yeah, and this is what, where it's so divorced from reality and. Like, here's one of the things that I just thought about. Mm-hmm. You, you remember when Cheney was vice president mm-hmm. and during the first term, the, people could only talk about Cheney. Right. And then after the second reelection, Bush basically, and there's a lot of this in Scott Horton's book, where basically like Cheney gets sidelined. Right. They're just like, Bush is like, no, I'm president. Like, right. Like, I could eat your liver and, and they wouldn't put me in jail. Like right. Cheney, don't mess with me. And like, do you ever hear anything about Pence?
1: uh occasionally i do and but it might be just kind of circles that i go in because i i do i think i tend to run in slightly more conservative circles than you mm -hmm. um and so there are a lot of conservative americans who the reason they like trump is because of pence
2: i just that is so surprising to me because i don't ever hear anything about pence yeah like not even that pence was at a nato summit topping up trump's line like
1: Well, if you talk to, like, a lot of my family and stuff like that, you know, I'll talk to them and stuff about, and I'll be like, you know, Trump is, you know, not a conservative, and I much, you know, my parents, my family, my parents, but also just my extended family are very conservative, and a lot of times you'll say to them stuff like, uh, you know, just trying to make a point or whatever, being like, well, this is not a very conservative position or whatever, it'll be like, yeah, but you know what, but Pence is there, and I think that he can really kind of temper Trump's uh, attitude and all that sort of stuff, and it's like, like it, I agree with you. Like you don't really hear about it a lot. You don't hear about Pence doing stuff or anything like that. He's just kind of a background character. But uh and
2: anybody who's like, "Oh, Pence can like, you know, temper him." It's like, "Where are you getting this from?" Right.
1: Like when I, I and I've not I've not heard I've wrong, heard I've like, heard from like polit, from like libertarian type politicians in Indiana where Pence was uh formerly the governor, uh that he is like an empty suit. He's kind of retarded and uh so he's George Bush yeah basically it's he's just like he'll do what you tell him to do and he but well, he doesn't really think independently he's just kind of like uh just moves forward like with whatever the whatever line that he's fed kind of, kind of like what i i've also heard this about Rubio too where Rubio is a great public speaker although i don't really think he's that great but he's an okay public speaker but that he basically just sits in a room and stares at the wall until somebody gives him cards to read And like, and that I've heard that Pence is very similar in that regard where he's just kind of like, he's just empty. And then, and then somebody feeds him something like, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that.
2: Well, this is, so this is one of those things is that's what they said about Bush. Mm -hmm. And we know that's not true. We know that he was doing his own machinations behind like Cheney's back the entire time. Right. They didn't come to the forefront until the second term. And there's no way you get the gumption to become the commissioner of revenue in the town of bum butt indiana right. or whatever pence's starting point is and not be there right so and and like i understand like if you're the emperor's son and mm. you stare at the wall and eat glue like yeah right but you well, I mean
1: that's come, you know that's kind of bush uh, bush jr you know
2: well uh, that's what they thought but like yeah. bush jr was doing stuff behind the scenes the entire time that's true yeah like it was just he thought and like the way the way i kind of understand it is during the first election during the first run he kind of thought other people were going to take care of like the government stuff and he could be like not necessarily a religious leader but kind of like you know how bill clinton was out there playing the saxophone right yeah like like, being the cool guy yeah Yeah. like so bush would kind of be like oh you know i'm gonna go read to kids and like i'm gonna support my wife's initiatives to get kids to read right and you're like Okay, President Bush, but what about the military spending? It's like, well, that, that, you know, Congress has got that. Kind of what the government was supposed to be. Right. This, like, idea that, like, you have to have an activist president. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I think Cheney kind of shows that model of, like, a true activist vice president. Where it's like, no, no, no. Like, I've got these machinations going against, like, the, you know, and people always talk about draining the swamp. Right. People don't seem to realize how much swamp draining the Bush presidency did where they did all these things behind the scenes to like basically infantilize like the cia so they could go into like these other wars and yeah like that's using one part of the swamp against the other part of the swamp but like they cleared house at the cia several times to like well but maybe you think
1: about that too is that his dad was head of the, uh, the cia for you know 10 years or something like that. Not, not, Actually, I,
2: I think it was a very little time.
1: Oh, was it a little time? I thought it was like a I long it was like time. two years. Oh, okay. Well, whatever it was, he like
2: was in the CIA for a long yeah. time
1: and, and he know... was the
2: head of it for very little
1: time. Okay. All right. I, I, I believe that. I, I don't know what exactly it is, but kind of going back to the, the whole fine sign thing that we're talking about here is that, uh, I can not to cut that point short, but kind of, I, I want to sort of, since we are trying to stay on target or whatever, I kind mm-hmm. of wanted to, Combat this back is uh, I don't disagree exactly with you, but what I'll give you pushback on this is that um, we know that like you know, young people don't really vote in primaries, and mm-hmm. um, and you I know, mean,
2: people don't really vote in elections.
1: Well, they don't normally, although they, they did have a much higher turnout in the Trump Hillary presidency, but even in the even in the um, the primaries for 2016, they had record number primary turnouts but it was still only 28% of eligible or of, uh, registered voters. Mm-hmm. And now 28% is high because the, you know, in an election, it's, it's, I think it's only like 48 or 49% of eligible voters go and vote, but, uh, or registered voters. Um, but, uh, that was a very high turnout. So, I mean, the thing, the thing, and I think that I don't know for sure, but I think the thing with, uh, what's her name? Alla Al- Allison or Alexandra, Alexandria, mm-hmm. Alexandria Cortez, or I'm not going to say the hyphenated name because it's annoying, but, um, <laughs> the Alexandria, the annoying, or the, the thing about her is like people did turn out and vote for her. And I think they were a lot of young people cause she was going, you know, around the Bronx and, uh, you know, wherever the, wherever else that district is and like knocking on doors and being like, Hey, you know, I'm going to give you free stuff. And so people are like, Oh yeah, I got that. I'll come out and do that. So, um, but I think kind of what the DNC either thinks or is uh trying to get ahead of is that they're like okay so our our base is dying so there's very like unions don't matter anymore because the the economy has moved past unions um our former base of like old people that you know want their social security and that kind of thing or whatever are dying black people are being supplanted by latinos so, they're not really a major minority. Well, they're still a major minority, but they're not like they don't have the stranglehold on them that they used to have. Latinos are coming in in mass, and that may be part of their plan. Um, so, I think that part of their strategy in this is that the primaries are not relevant because young people do not turn out to the primaries. But if we can galvanize people against Trump in the general election, we can get people to come out and vote Democrat. Now, I don't think they're at risk at all of losing California, but there could be stuff going on that the Democrats go like, you know, Trump actually had a really good turnout in California, much higher than than people realize. Uh, I think it, it was like 35% or something like that. And uh, actually, I'll look it up real quick. Uh, California 2016 Trump vote.
2: Well, I think one of the things to preface on this yeah. is I don't think
1: yeah, see like so so California only went sixty one percent to Hillary in that and mm-hmm. you know, so like you've got you know there there were people voting you know libertarian, and you know libertarians actually had a fairly good turnout in California, um you know not not like an amazing turnout but you know pretty good turnout um uh at uh i think it was like 6% or something like that they much well, I
2: think it was less than that but yeah
1: maybe maybe it was what was, was less than that i don't remember what it was but whatever it was it was high but like Jill Stein had a pretty good turnout there too but uh Trump you know had 31% of the vote there and so Diane Feinstein and and the most secure counties for Trump are concentrated in northern California and Dianne Feinstein's district is, I think, highly concentrated in Northern California. So the Bay Area does control most of those votes. Or no, actually, it's Senate. So I think it's, is it it's Senate? the entire state. Yeah, so it's the entire state. So it doesn't matter, I guess, in that in that regard. But, you know, you've got a lot of counties in California that were not deep blue this time. So you had like LA was deep blue, I, I think uh Yolo County was deep blue, you know, the Bay you know, the various Bay Area city you know, well YOLO's in the Bay Area, but like uh you know, these various areas were deep blue, but California is not as deep blue as people think. And I think that, you know, a lot of the polling and stuff is not is is showing that Trump has actually gained a lot and particularly among minority communities. So I think what the Democrats are trying to do is hedge their bets. They're picking a Latino because California has a major Latino population and they are is Latino the correct term? I'm not sure.
2: It doesn't really
1: matter. Okay, well, whatever it is, people I think know what I'm talking about. But I uh, saying, yeah. Yeah. So they they're picking a Latino. They're picking somebody who is younger than the 85 year old Diane Feinstein. And they and and I think this may be a mistake on their part. They think that they can run two Democrats and not worry about losing a Senate seat. I don't know that that's true. And um, well,
2: and, the, and that's it what might I was be get to and, yeah. yeah. So what I was going to get to is like what what they're what they what they do not realize is this is so Bush won the first term by winning the electoral college mm-hmm. but he didn't do it intentionally it just happened like Obama mm-hmm. won just handedly supposedly mm-hmm. you know I don't I don't know for sure but he supposedly he won handedly right and then Trump won strategically i think the democrats are still playing this game where it's no 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 we're going to win by the, you know, the cor- the correct method. Right. Or whatever you want to call it, where you're trying to win by, like, capturing the entire, like, country in votes. Whereas the Republicans are never going to run an election where they're banking on winning California. Right. And I'm, I'm looking at it like a rese- rege- results map. Mm-hmm on here and like so california like the total votes were maybe 9 million
1: yeah in a state of, with almost 30 or maybe more than 30 million people
2: yeah yeah exactly so and you look at the map and it's you know it's 32 33 percent, and the map really does doesn't look like 50 percent trump right like it does look like you know they won a lot uh the democrats but like this like they're still running these races as if it's winner take all yeah and it's like no you like, the Republicans are no longer playing that way, like, the, the people who are actually running these races. And I think what's mm-hmm. going to be – I think what's going to end up happening – and this will be the last thing before we plug our stuff. Right. You know, and maybe you comment or two from you, so I don't want to deny that opportunity. Right, right. What I think is going to happen is I think one of the reasons they're pushing Bill Weld so hard in the LP – Yeah, as the Dems have signaled to them that, oh, this is your chance. Look how dumb Trump is. And they're going to try to peel the true conservative vote out away from Trump and try to push it to like the LP or the Constitutional Party or something Mm -hmm. like that. Right. They're going to try to fracture the voting system. Right because they're going to try to capture the the young people who aren't going to show up. And, like, they're going to try to break this system, and they're going to try to break the third party system, the two-party system, Mm. and really push the libertarians to try to break the Democrats apart. So that's what I think they're going to try to do because I think they're going to realize late into the polling that the people they're talking to aren't going to show up. Right. Like, the polling is going to show, like, Oh, blah 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 is going to happen. It's like no, you're you guys really don't understand like what these guys did. At least the way they're acting right now.
1: Right. So, see, I'm not. I, I I don't disagree exactly, but I think what's going on. I mean, this is my at least my estimation of it is that um, both parties are trying to re are trying to reassess a little bit, and that's they're trying to reassess because the baby boomers are going to be gone in mm-hmm. a couple of years. And you've now got to figure out Generation X, which is a relatively small generation, actually. Uh, compared to millennials and Generation Z, um, and I think what they're trying to do is figure out what they're going to be doing. Millennials are overwhelmingly left leaning, but Gen Z is not, and there's a lot of voters who are coming up from Gen Z very soon. Mm-hmm. and um, And I think what's going on with with that is that Gen Z, according to polling and a lot of the, the statistical analysis, is Gen Z is very conservative, and it's not not conservative in this in the way that like you traditionally think of conservative, but kind of in the way of their like. Uh, I can do it myself mm-hmm. and whereas millennials are like I want to collaborate and that kind of thing where and, and like we' are a community and that sort of thing you know and that, they've done a lot of a lot of research on this where like like millennials tend to want to work in a group Gen Z is like no I'll work from home and mm-hmm. and you know there is a lot of crossover on this I mean like millennials they, they say nowadays that like millennials are anywhere between age 17 to 34 but gen mm-hmm. Z is anywhere from you know, zero years old to 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So you've got these, you've got this overlap where there are a lot of these like, you know, millennials who a few of them remember when there was no internet, but none of Gen Z remembers when there was no internet. And uh, they also are, are very independent because you can basically learn anything online. So they're kind of like, Oh, I don't really need anybody to help me. And they're not as social as, as the millennials were. And you can kind of yeah. see this in, in, you know, the drop off of users, usership rating in a lot of social media. Is that you know the it's kind of stagnated and part of that is because a lot of millennials are recognizing that social media is a waste of time, but a lot of like Gen Z is kind of like, well, I don't really need that; I can do it myself. And so this court sort of can do do it on your own attitude, I think, translates into the voting demographic and a lot of like these young conservative movements, and they're not neocons, but they're. Not traditional conservatives. They're not like Pat Buchanan conservatives. They're just kind of like people who are n- not even libertarian exactly, but they're sort of like, I can do it on my own. I don't need other people to tell me what to do. And I also don't want to work with other people. Um, yeah. And that I think is what the Democrats are recognizing that this is what's going on. And the Republicans are as well. And so what the Democrats, I think, in my opinion, they're trying to do is trying to shore up the minority vote. And so they're going, black people are out because they're no longer a substantial, mi- or not the substantial minority. The substantial minority are Latinos. So they, you've got two examples now where the the Latino candidate is the primary candidate, one that didn't even win the votes. Like, at least Alexandria beat the other guy, like, you know, fair and square. Whereas mm-hmm. this other dude, he didn't beat Diane Feinstein, fair and square. But Diane Feinstein is 85 years old. I think the DNC leadership's like, yeah, she's 85 years old we don't want to be the guys we don't want to be the the team or whatever that endorse an 85 year old woman over a minority and and i think that's what's going on is that like they recognize that she's old she's part of a she's part of i she may even be older than the baby boomer she might be silent generation she's old as crap and no it's she's a baby boomer is she okay like well i don't yeah. know how old is she Eighty-five. Mm-hmm. So, Actually, yeah, no, she she, she is Silent Generation. Yeah, so she would she's part of the Silent Generation. She is old as fuck, <laughs> and yeah. well, I so think that, that that's kind of what like... they're doing. Is they're just like, you know what? Yeah, she is a left a left wing lunatic, but she's not young. They need to make room for new leadership. And young people do polarize towards young people typically. I mean like Ron Paul was a really great exception and Bernie Sanders was a really great exception where like young people are like, This guy's who we want to be but Bernie Sanders is out on favorability with millennials
2: mm-hmm.
1: because he doesn't he doesn't support uh you know, he doesn't support open borders and he also doesn't support eliminating um the uh what is ice immigration department whatever they're called yeah uh ice and like there's been there's been a lot of left-wing rags or whatever writing against him where like he's been pretty consistent on that he's like no like and actually, I think you and I have talked about this before, and I've heard it on several podcasts where they, they asked him during the primaries, are like, are you in favor of open borders? And Bernie Sanders is like, no, that's a Koch brothers idea. And <laughs> he's like, they, they want to import cheap labor so that their corporations can thrive. And that is a very consistent socialist idea. Socialists are opposed to open borders. Uh, but now you've got like this chick, uh, Alexandria, and I'm sure the, the new guy is going to be in favor of open borders because that's the, uh, you know, topic du jour um, or the or the opinion du jour or whatever but i think that that in my opinion that's what's going on with the dnc in this particular case is that they're going our demographics changing she's old as shit, and we need somebody new and it seems like left like the, the the polarization narrative is what is going to win these days is that we need to polarize because mainstream middle of the road candidates don't win extreme candidates win Whether it's Trump, who's not extreme right wing, but he's extreme authoritarian, or Bernie Sanders, who is also extreme authoritarian, but on the left. You know, these are very popular people.
0: Hillary Mm. Clinton,
1: for all of her crazy wacko-ness, was a very mainstream candidate. And people rejected the mainstream. Dianne Feinstein is a wacko. But in California, she is very mainstream. And I think that Mm -hmm. that they are saying, you know what, let's hedge our bets. She can probably still win, but we need to be the party that endorsed, uh, what's his name, Day... De Santiago or whatever.
2: Kevin uh, D. Leon.
1: Leon D. Leon. Yeah, that actually sounds like a really good wine or something.
2: Yeah. Well, Speaking so one of the things which. is also <laughs> that I failed to mention and kind of buried it in there is the fact that you know when she ran for um, governor of California, they didn't endorse her either. This mm-hmm. is this has happened to her before. So. Like she's not exactly friends with the leadership, so it may not even be any of these yeah. things. They just may be pissing her coffee because they that hate. Could her. Be. That for could others. be. Yeah, that could be. And
1: the thing is, is you know, she was she was mayor of San Francisco for however many years, and I think four four or five years, and was not a very good mayor. If you look at her record, like she wasn't great, but she was. Uh, Definitely involved in the DNC, particularly in the Bay Area. She's, I think, very attractive to older Bay Area people, and, yeah. and and she has name recognition. That's another advantage. You know, a lot of people don't think about this, but just people recognizing your name on a ballot sometimes makes them vote for you. And
2: yeah she was she's mayor of San Francisco for ten years. Oh,
1: for ten years? I thought it was like yeah. six for some reason. But uh, yeah, and she was a, and she was a bad mayor. I, like if you look at her record, like San Francisco did pretty well at the beginning, but that was probably just, you know, economic circumstances abroad, like in general, but like, Mm -hmm. she wasn't a great mayor. I I know she was mayor when I was born uh, in 87. I think that was maybe her last year. 88 was her last year, but Mm -hmm. like, she's not a, she wasn't a great mayor. Um, and she was relatively popular, but not super popular. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that they just, I, I think that the DNC is just kind of recognizing that, look, she's old. And I mean, like, when she left, I think it was 87 or 88 when she left San Francisco like uh, the, as mayor. Like, she's old. Like, that, think about 87. I'm 31 years old. That was 31 years ago or more that she was, that she left being mayor of San Francisco. She's, so she's 80. You said 85? She's 85 now. Mm hmm. So that was 31 years ago. She would have been 51 or 50, 40. No, I'm not doing the math right. She would have been in her 50s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or late 40s. Yeah, late 40s. No, no, no. She would have been 54. So she would have been 54. So she was a you know relatively young woman in 1987 but now she is like you know one foot in the crit creep, creep, crypt creep crypt crypt keeper. yeah like she's she's gonna die one soon in the grave. yeah like she's not going to she's not going to last that long and they really need to hedge their bets and i think that's what's going on is they're hedging their bets like they've got a nice a, a young latino man um it would be better if he was transgendered for the democrats but you know that's you know, <laughs> they'll take what they can get but uh you know a young latino man he could Uh, and, uh, that is going to appeal to a lot of the millennials who value, um, perceived diversity over, um, you know, experience or, or I I think actually, I think that perceived diversity is what they, they, even over ideas, they just, they just would prefer to have somebody who is, uh, more diverse or at least respects diversity in some way.
2: Yeah, well, but so we're going to end roughly on that. First, yeah. he's 51, so he's roughly the same age as Feinstein when she was—
1: No, he's 50, He's 51.
2: <laughs> yeah, 51.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's young compared to 85.
2: <laughs> no, no, I agree, but I'm saying, like, it. it's funny because, like, that's the age she was going in at.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, you, you yeah, know, so
1: people are usually older when they when they go into politics. But, so, yeah, but yeah so you're right. That's way. a good place to end, I think.
2: Yeah, either way. So we're over by wherever we want it to be. But so tastinganarchy.com dot will have uh, better notes than we normally do or have had in the past on this episode. Um, yeah. So uh, you know we are as always. The, uh, people evolutionists. To, yeah, evolutionists. <laughs> don't vote for these morons. <laughs> there is
1: a there is a libertarian candidate. I don't know if he's running for senate, but there is there is or not. I know he's not. But there is a libertarian candidate running for governor in California that I think is pretty uh-huh. good. Um, His name is—I'll have to look it up. Then I'll maybe I'll tell you guys on the next episode. But I like him. uh, He's—he's a rapper, and uh, he's black. So if you like diversity, vote for the black guy, not for the Latino guy. (laughs) Right, right. So, uh, but yeah. So uh, yeah, as always, uh, visit us at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Uh, I have not Mm -hmm. been posting as much as I. Did in the past, but mm-hmm. you know, occasionally you can catch one of the things. I'm probably gonna tweet something at Diane Feinstein because I really dislike her, um, <laughs> ab- about her losing the endorsement. And, yeah, exactly. uh, and, um, you know, from me, uh, stay free. Anything else you got left, Mason? No,
0: I just All right, cool. Have a great night, everybody. Drink that man. Oh, give me some of that sloth. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peterstown, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats they love sweet wine. Drinkin' wine for the to drink wine. Wine for the, you to drink wine. Wine for the, you to drink wine. Ma, ma. Pass that bottle to me, Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. wine, wine Elderberry, wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry, wine, wine, wine. Blackberry, wine, wine, wine. Port and sherry, wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that, that bottle to me. me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's den. He wasn't selling but American gin One soldier wanted a bottle of wine He hipped that cat for a dollar and a dime I drank a wine for the Yodi, drank wine Wine for the Yodi, drank wine Wine for the Yodi, drank wine. Wine, wine. Wine, wine Pass that bottle to me i got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, sport, you drink wine. Wine, sport, to drink wine. Wine, wine. wine sport, drink wine. Pass that ball to me. Be-